The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. As a Christian psychologist, I have sat across from God's wounded and damaged artwork for now not 45, but 47 years. I have learned about families where sexual abuse or domestic violence are rampant and have been for generations. I have learned about people groups who have been crushed, oppressed, and enslaved. I have borne witness to the destruction of human beings in my office and on six continents. I have listened in Auschwitz, Rwanda, the townships of South Africa, Congo, and Cambodia, as I have visited death camps, churches full of bones, unspeakable poverty, victims of violent rape, and the killing fields. It is a numbing world out there. The digital world and the media tsunami often overwhelm us, and we can often barely take in sound bites. But today, I'm going to ask you, students that you are, to marshal the forces of your minds and your hearts and come with me for a glimpse of this world our God so loves, this world whose anguish he bears. He's asked us to look with him, to step away from the numbing and listen to his heart and his thoughts. So come. Listen and see with me a small piece of the heart of our God in this fearful fallen world. I was in Ghana a few years ago to speak at a conference on violence against women and children. And while there, we visited Cape Coast Castle. Hundreds of thousands of Africans were forced through its dungeons and out the door of no return onto slave ships. There were five dungeon chambers for males and two for females. Descending down into the darkness of one of those dungeons for males felt claustrophobic. 200 men in one dungeon, shackled, chained together, and stayed in that dungeon for three months before being shipped across the Atlantic to our shores. We stood in one of those male dungeons, listening in the darkness to the whole horrific story when our guide said this, do you know what's above this dungeon? No, a chapel. Directly above 200 shackled men, some of them dead, others screaming, all of them sitting in filth, sat so-called God worshipers. They sang. They read the scripture, they prayed, and I suppose they took up an offering for those less fortunate. The slaves could hear the service. Sometimes the worshipers could hear the slaves, though they kept people down there to make them behave so they would not disturb worship. I took my breath away. The evil, the suffering, the humiliation, the injustice were overwhelming, and the visual parable was stunning. The people in the chapel were numb to the horrific trauma and suffering beneath them. We have dungeons in our world today, too, don't we? Ten cities all over the world, genocides, wars, relentless systemic abuse in our inner cities and often in our churches. Do you know that all of those events produce traumatized human beings? 
One in four soldiers today is a child. 200 million children live on the streets in this world. Child sexual abuse, child marriage, female genital mutilation cause physical and psychological damage to countless females. Girls have acid thrown in their faces for doing what you're doing, going to school. They are stoned to death for being raped. Clearly, violence is a major health and development issue worldwide. The Me Too campaign in this country and the world has turned a spotlight on what many women and girls have endured in silence for years. There's also sex trafficking, which is utterly destroying close to a million annually as victims are moved across nation boundaries and sold into virtual slavery. Sex trafficking is a brutal and large-scale destructive force, and it is not just over there. It is here on our streets and in our cities. Our country is full of vets. Some of them return and attend our schools. I suspect there are some here. Men and women who have not only witnessed terrible things, but many who have been caught in unmanageable and life-threatening places where they have had to do things they would have told you they could never do. They bear grave injuries to deeply held beliefs and a sense of self and return to us sure they are no longer themselves and never will be again. And none of that covers the crisis of our time, a world full of refugees fleeing crushing regimes and war zones the number of refugees and internally displaced people in the world now exceeds 65 million. Half of those fleeing are children. These are humans who have experienced unspeakable trauma and fled, and now they have experienced the loss of all things and must live in a strange land where they are often feared, hated, or simply unwanted. There's a wonderful Somalian poet by the name of Warsan Shire, and she said this, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. And what about this country? Did you know that someone is sexually assaulted every two minutes in the United States? That means 15 people by the time I get done talking. Childhood sexual abuse occurs in the lives of one in four women and one in six men before they turn 18 and can go to college. The average age for sexual abuse to begin is six for girls and 10 for boys. They sit in the classrooms here. They are in this room. One in five women in the US has been raped. 44% of those victims are under 18 and 93% know their attacker. One in five women are raped during the course of their college years in the US. And as we know, most of those have been covered up for the sake of the institutions involved. We bear the name of our Lord Christ. We are also to bear his character. To cover up sin for the sake of some group or institution is the equivalent of hiding a cancerous lump in your body to preserve your life. Stop and think about the numbers in the context of your church or, in, or this institution, and you begin to grasp the frequency of these crimes. And listen to me, rape is an act of violence. It is not sex. 
There is violence by guns, violence by fists, and violence by sexual acts. Violence by weapons and fists is not sport, it is criminal. Violence by sexual acts is not sex, it is criminal. Given the impact of this violence on an individual life and society and the frequency in which it occurs, it is critical that we learn about its effects and what healing looks like. And please do not think such horrors happen to females alone. Male rape occurs all over the world. Boys are raped by the bigger and stronger or more powerful. There's an article in the American Medical Association Journal that says those boys who have been born in poverty and raised in homes without a father are at a greater risk for rape than the rest of the male population. By the age of 12, the, the rate of using alcohol, cocaine, marijuana, and other drugs is 25 to 50 times higher for boys who have been sexually abused. Abused boys have 12 times the normal suicide rate and they go on to have higher rates of mental illness. There are young men on this campus who struggle with some of these things. Do you ever wonder why? The silence surrounding the abuse of males has led to an untold number of suffering in silence. One out of every 10, 10 rape victims is a male. <clears throat> males 18 to 24 and in college, that would be a lot of you, are five times more likely to be raped than those in the general population. Victims of rape, both male and female, are three times more likely to experience depression, 13 times more likely to abuse alcohol, 26 times more likely to abuse drugs, and four times more likely to attempt suicide. These are all issues on campuses from around the country and the world. Obviously, victims of abuse and rape constitute a vulnerable population, and though perhaps not often named, it is frequently in the room. It is here today. All of these things, from 10 cities to abuse, things you and I find very difficult to comprehend and hold in our minds, are endured by precious human beings one at a time. They result in traumatized human beings. Trauma means living with recurrent, tormenting memories of atrocities witnessed or born. Memories that infect the victim's sleep with horrific nightmares, destroy their relationships, erode their capacity to work or study, torment their emotions, shatter their faith, and mutilate their hope. Trauma is extraordinary, you see, not because it's rare, but because it completely overwhelms the normal ways that humans live and cope. The dungeons of this world are full of traumatized people. As it was in Cape Coast Castle, the usual response to atrocity is to try and remove it from our minds. Those who've been traumatized want to flee the memory of its occurrence, and we who here want to flee also. We find it too terrible to remember and too incomprehensible to put into words, which is why we use the phrase unspeakable atrocities. The great tension is the futile attempt to forget the unspeakable, which continues to live on in the mind and sometimes scream. The push-pull between the need to forget and the need to speak is the central struggle of tra trauma. And that tension is not only experienced by individuals and families, but by institutions and even nations. 
It is experienced not only by the traumatized, but by those who bear witness to the trauma. I know something of this tension because I have looked into traumatized eyes all over the world. I have seen this push-pull in my clients who are terrified to remember and speak, but who cannot forget. I have witnessed families, churches, and yes, nations, deny the existence of evil abuse and trauma in their midst. I also know this tension exists in those who bear witness because it lives in me. You know, we see an atrocity on television or the internet, and soon after we look for ways to remove ourselves such stories threaten our comfort, our position, or our system. The stories are vile and messy and disruptive. Traumatized people need attention and assistance, often for a very long time. The trauma stories of our own families, institutions, and organizations get buried, and geographical distance and the push of a button enable us to do so with entire nations. Just ask Rwanda. We are, in fact, quite like the chapel goers in the fort in Ghana. So what are we to do? Choose complicity by turning away in silence? Flit from cause to cause trying to do something, which is sometimes an attempt just to make ourselves feel better, it's not really for the other person, or to feed some voyeuristic need in ourselves or to render judgment, and we categorize the traumatized and suffering as they, you know, if they were more responsible and made better choices, they would not be suffering like that. Under the form of worship in that chapel in Ghana laid the darkness of slavery, oppression, and tyranny, all things that blight and destroy precious humans made in the image of our God. But I think you know that Christianity does not look like being folded up with evil or worshiping on top of dungeons. Following Christ does not look like complicity with a system that butters our bread and fills our coffers built on the backs of those created in the image of our God. It does not look like praying and singing and giving money on top of screams, unspeakable suffering, filth, and death. Christianity is not calling others them, somehow unlike us, not human and deserving of their suffering. While we were there, our guide stopped and he pointed to the church above. And he said this, heaven above, hell below. But I would argue that heaven was not above because that is not what heaven does. What does heaven do? Heaven leaves heaven, place of comfort, of songs, of purity, of plenty, and endless wealth. Heaven comes down. If the people in that chapel had truly worshipped God, they would have been in the dungeon, in the filth and the darkness and the suffering, and they would have entered in so that they might bring out. In Acts 17, it says this, these men have turned the world upside down. The church goes into the dungeon so that the dungeon becomes the church. God came down to lift us up, he became like us so we might become like him. He came to this dung-filled dungeon you and I call earth and sat with us. He touched us. He loved us, and he called us to himself. 
and he enters the dungeons of our hearts and transforms them. He does not treat us as them. He became one of us so we might be his. God is power becoming little, coming down to embrace what is alien. There is no them, my friends. It is only us. We were the slaves in the dungeon, and he has not taken us out so we can stand on the heads of the oppressed and say we worship him for not leaving us there. He has called us as his body to follow our head, to go back into the plague-infested dung heap so that other slaves might find freedom and go back with us to find yet more. When our God interfaces with this world, he leaves the higher and descends. He leaves beauty and enters chaos. He leaves pure and goes into filthy, and he demonstrates that God does not just speak words, but he also acts first in the heart dungeons of human beings, and then through those human beings into the dungeons of this world. Jesus demonstrated in the flesh the character of God. His body, his church, is to do the same. When God's people worship over and separate and untouched by dungeons, they are not worshiping the God of the scriptures. There is nothing in the scriptures to suggest that being complicit, neutral, or uncaring and deaf to the cries of human beings is godly. Those scriptures do say that the dungeons of Cape Coast Castle were below because they were first present in the hearts of the people who created them. Sadly, the body of Christ has often failed to see trauma as a place of service. You know, if we survey the natural disasters of our time, and the violent inner cities, wards, genocides, trafficking, rapes, child abuse, it would be a staggering number. And I think a look at suffering humanity would lead to the realization that trauma is perhaps one of the greatest mission fields in the 21st century. The people of God is sometimes hidden in their chapels, worshiping and singing and giving money, and we stick our heads out to tell others what they're doing wrong. We, are often we have often blamed those who suffer for their trauma. We have failed to recognize that systems, even Christian ones, can be quite corrupt and power can be abused, and that like our Lord, many people in this world suffer from totally undeserved injustice and trauma. We have not gone to the dungeons and we have been blind to the fact that such a refusal is merely an exposure of our own hearts. Hearts that are not like God's who bore the anguish of this world. I think many of you see this and I'm sure many of you want to enter in and I am glad. Some of you will end up in at places of great power and influence. Probably doesn't feel like it now but you will, and you don't want to hide in the chapel, and that's good, but listen, do not be seduced. The chapel is not a place. It is a person. It is a head with a body, and in the physical realm, a body that does not follow its head is a very sick body. Many of you see that. It is also true that the dungeon is not a place. It is the human heart. You see, there's no corporate greed without human beings. There's no rape and abuse without humans. 
There are no corrupt systems without people to protect and lie. Our first call is never to place, place of service, whether it's a chapel or a dungeon. Our first call, yours and mine, is to person, to love and obedience to Jesus Christ, no matter the cost, to hearts that tolerate no dungeon to exist hidden from his light. Many have thought that if you avoid the dungeons of this world, you will stay clean. However, to do so is to fail to follow our head. Many of you want to go, go, but remember that the dungeon is first in us. That is what creates the dungeons out there. Do not fool yourselves into thinking that you are following your Savior where others have failed to do so, all the while hiding dungeons in your own soul, whether it be pride or pornography. Given the numbers of suffering and traumatized people, let me reiterate, I believe that trauma is one of the primary mission fields of the 21st century. It is one of the supreme opportunities before the church today. Our head left glory and came down. He became like us. He literally put on our skin. He did not numb or flee the atrocities of this world or of our hearts. The question is, will we, his body, be willing to leave our spaces and chapels and enter the trauma of terrified and shattered humanity in the name of Jesus? Be it a close friend or someone in the middle of an inner city or someone in another country. We are complicit with the perpetrators if we refuse to see an inner end. We are also complicit if we ignore the refuse in our own hearts. If the church does not enter in, then I would have to ask, is she really the body of the incarnated God? I pray we will follow our head full of light and life and I pray that the life of Jesus will be in the corners of our hearts so that we can truly bring him to the trauma dungeons of this world. It has been a great privilege for me to learn from our shepherd. He has taken me into places I didn't even know existed. I have seen evil and darkness and despair in precious humans he knit together in their mother's wombs. I have made many mistakes. However, I have found him always there, teaching, carrying, redeeming. And it is my prayer that we will look at ourselves in truth as those who say we are Christ followers and let the, the light of our God expose us to ourselves. I pray we will bow before the one who sits on the throne, bearing scars that should be ours, and learning from the good and great shepherd how to protect, feed, and care for the lambs that he loves. It is not a pretty journey, but we will find him working with us as we go. You see, if you let it, entering into the suffering of others will change you in ways you cannot imagine, because you see, it is an invitation into the fellowship of his sufferings. You will never encounter suffering in your own life or anyone else's that he has not borne. And he is through you, inviting you to sit with him, watch with him, and weep with him as you work with others. 
He will use them to change you into a greater likeness to himself. You see, what I have discovered is that he always works both sides. I grieve that the body of Christ has so often walked away from this work. We have turned our backs on him and his invitation into the fellowship of his sufferings. We have preferred our fame, our money, and our little kingdoms. We have lost much. We have damaged many. We have broken God's heart. I pray that we will ardently seek after him and these matters, that we will seek each one of us to be one small candle in the dark. He waits. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your pursuit of us in Jesus. Thank you that you did not stay in the chapel, but you came to the dungeons of this world. You suffered at the hands of human beings, and you have entered the dungeons of our hearts and minds. I pray you will gather up these students, that they will know your pursuit, and they will not flee, that they will hear your voice, a voice of exposure, yes, but also a voice of great love for them. Teach them, use them in redemptive ways now with each other and as they go out into this world. And continue to remind them that you will never leave, never forsake, and never quit pursuing them to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>